right, come here. Come here. Let's go. Let's go on this journey together. Let's try. Let's try. Let's just try one. We'll see where it goes. I don't know. I don't know. Could be good. This one could be hot. Hot outside, hot inside. We got a sizzler, okay? This is going to be the sizzler of all episodes. Grab the cheesy bread. Grab those tongs that 50 other people were touching earlier, but you don't care because it's the 80s and there's a smoking section and you're ready for that buffet. Go around the buffet and hit up that soft serve ice cream. This is the sizzler of all episodes. Outside, it's about 135 degrees. I'm just refreshing the news feed. How hot is it? I want to read another article about the heat wave, wall-to-wall heat coverage. These news publications are coming at us right now. All right, they want us scared of the heat. They want us scared of the sun. They want that to happen. And guess what? I am totally susceptible to that. Clicking on it, clicking on that article. Uh Uh-oh, what not to do today? Don't go biking. Don't go hiking. Okay. Wasn't gonna, but I'm happy I spent this portion of my life reading over the top five ways to help a friend who's too hot. The top three things you could do with your own freezer. And then that article is going to tangent into global warming, tangent into climate change, and then read the comments below the article because some people are going to disagree about it. And now we got a political topic. And really, it's just hot. Back in the day, someone just used to tell you the weather. A neighbor would say, it's going to be hot next week. It's going to be a scorcher. And you would just go, okay, go on with your life. Get that SPF. Put on some sunscreen. Get a hat with a brim and just go on with your life. Right now, what's the news doing to us with this heat wave? Two weeks ago, they said, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And it's here. And they love it. They want some casualties. The news wants body bags. They want us to suffer. They want the ugliest story to come to the surface so we could click, 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 click. Someone told me in the world of journalism, the newspapers, they used to set the tone of what's going to be important to us, still following the rules of journalism, but now it's we, the people, what we click on. So they could put a bunch of articles out, which they do. Just any news website, put out 50 articles a day, and then whatever we click on, that's what they tell the reporters. Now write more stories about that. Like Manti Teo. He said his girlfriend and his grandma died in the same week. And this is a story from a long time ago, but I just watched the documentary. If nobody really clicked on that article, and let's be honest, it's not really a story that affected any of us. A star Notre Dame linebacker, human interest story. He got catfished. He never actually met his girlfriend. She died. We all felt bad for him. Turns out it was a hoax. He never had a girlfriend. It was just someone named Ronnie on the other end. A cousin of his named Ronnie fucking with him. So Manti Teo all of a sudden becomes the biggest story in the nation because we can't stop clicking on it. So we, the people, apparently demand more of that, but it doesn't affect our lives. And that's what journalism is. It's where the clicks are, where the clicks are. We're not really good at choosing where the clicks should be. What's more important right now, the war in Ukraine or this heat wave? The war in Ukraine, but try to find an article on that today. Locally, no, it's just heat, heat, more heat, heat, shave your beard. Josh, because it's hot on your face, and I should shave my beard because it's all gray. I look like an unfrozen caveman. If you met me today and guessed my age, you might say, what about 53? Is he 54? And I'd say, how dare you? But if I shaved and you came up to me off the street and guessed my age, a lot of people doing that, right? Nope. No one's approaching anyone and just guessing their age. But if you came up to me off the street after I shaved, you'd be like, are you 27? 28. I'm not going to buy it. You're 30? And I'd say, add 10, you bastard. And you'd say, whoa, a little hostile. We're just doing a quick game called How Old Are You? Why So Abrasive? And I would say, I'm sorry. It's just so hot out. I guess I lost total control. Stay hydrated, people. 
and then read at least 20 more articles about the heat wave. At least 20, because you got to know what to do and what not to do. And what's the source of it? And if it's coming back and what the record is, we want to know the record. And if you're the news, show us people sweating and thermometers exploding. Give me the best graphics, the best visuals. Give me the best footage you have. I want to see a dog panting on the APM news tonight. I want to see a dog panting for 10 seconds before we get to the anchor desk. <laughs> and Linda, tonight it's safe to say you should be in front of a fan. Temperatures reaching a record high. It's hot. I'll give you that. It's hot. And why do I keep clicking on the articles? I'm, I'm like all the sheep. We just go where the clicks are. Click, 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 click. We click on that. Doesn't affect our lives too much. Click, 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 click on that. Doesn't affect our lives too much. And you know who I'm going to criticize right now? You know who I'm going to rip? Joseph Eichler. Everyone's in love with Joseph Eichler. Mid-century modern. These Eichlers, right? These wonderful Eichlers. These Eichlers are beautiful. Like they're good looking homes, floor to ceiling windows, all very small, you know, around 1,500 square feet to 2,000 square feet. Okay. And these idyllic neighborhoods, mid-century modern, you got to try to find an Eichler. They weren't prepared for wind. They weren't prepared for rain. They weren't prepared for sun. I was driving home the other day and just noticed how many vans and trucks are on every street. Roof repair. Tile repair, windows, maintenance, plumbers and plumbers and plumbers and glass guys and lighting guys and roof repair and landscapers and maintenance and replace your floors and replace your doors. It's Peter's Plumbing right next to a house that has seven trucks in front of it. Just rip off the roof. We need another roof and the walls don't work anymore. And the ground, yeah, that slab's been eaten through. So we need a new one. Eichler could have used some more durable materials, I'm guessing. And he's like honored today in the world of architecture. And I want to honor him. I want to be like, yeah, Joseph Eichler, man, what a great guy. And we get magazines about everybody who's excited about his homes. Uh-uh, uh-uh, not me. I want to take a hot air balloon ride and just look over an Eichler neighborhood and see how many businesses are kept in business because these homes are flimsy and not prepared to age. They do not age well with the wood paneling and the radiant heating, and you don't care. You don't give a shit about any of this, but just drive through any of these nice suburbs and you'll just see they were purposely built like shit so you could keep all the plumbing companies in business and all the electrical companies in business, HVAC. Keep them in business. We need maintenance at all times. You're always on this show called What's Gotta Go Wrong? Well, today one of our kids ran through the plate glass window that was built very shoddily. And unfortunately, our toilet just fell right into the ground in the bathroom. And I was on it. So uh, that was not a pretty moment for my wife to see me. We're doing fine, though. We're doing fine. You haven't had hot water in three weeks, but we're fine. Our roof, sure, it was on fire last week. But we're fine. We're fine. You got to get an Eichler. You got to have a baby. You got to get an Eichler. And if you think I'm sounding ungrateful, I'm not. I'm grateful. I'm fortunate. All right. I'm feeling the privilege and just finding something to complain about. It's the heat. It's the heat. If I sound cynical, I'll just blame the heat. Then I'll Google up an article that says the heat could change your mood. People to avoid when it reaches 100. Oh, my God. It's hot. It's hot. How are you spending today doing your DIY projects? Do it yourself. 
The whole world used to be do-it-yourself. Have you ever thought about that? You don't actually have to make your own anything. Well, we make our own soaps. Well, we make our own brands. Well, we pick our own this shit. Well, we're starting to make our own essential oils. We're making our own honey. We bought bees. You don't need to do any of that. It's all at the store. Take it down a notch, Mr. and Mrs. DIY. And we can't wait to tell you that we are making our own Swiss cheese at the house. We're making our own monster cheese. We have started making our own wallpaper from scratch. You don't need to. I mean, it's a cool skill set if you want to fill your time that way. But this whole planet used to be DIY. You do it yourself. And back when it was do it yourself, you grow the food to survive. You build the shelter you need. Anything that's going to help your body live, the earth is your pharmacy. Learn about it, trial and error, what you can eat out of the earth, what you can't eat, which animals you should domesticate, which you shouldn't, how to build a house, how not to build a house. DIY a lot of trial and error, and now it's a cutesy thing. It's an Etsy thing. It's a hobby thing. But we tend to look back, you know, a thousand years ago, and we think these people are dumber than us today. Well, there's no way they could have known that about science. Well, there's no way they could have known that about the ocean. There's no way these people could have created a system of education, an intellectual system. Look, they were so smart. They were as smart as the world allowed them to be at that time. How do I know this? Because in a thousand years, people are going to look back on the things I'm doing in 2022 and going, oh, shit. We're talking about one dumb motherfucker, aren't we, folks? We're talking about one dumb fella. Oh, he was still he was still attempting to get eight hours of sleep. And he bought a CPAP machine. Oh, what else? What else? He was still using toilet paper in 2022. Interesting. Oh, he was still catching the common cold or the flu. (laughs) Oh, what a dumb bastard. Was he living in one of those Eichler? Oh my God, people were living in Eichler homes. Give me a conversation from a thousand years from now. When I'm dead, let me just overhear people talking about our generation studying us, the way I would look at people from a thousand years ago and go, whoa, that's medieval, that's antiquated, that doesn't sound good, that doesn't sound healthy or fun. Actually, not labeling them dumb, but just so unadvanced in so many ways that we feel so advanced today. All of our appliances, all of our apps and electronics, all of our tech, we feel so smart. Oh, we're so innovative, right? We're so innovative, right? Eh, We're as good as we can be right now. That's it. We're as good as we can be right now. Speaking of dying, oh, that's a weird transition. I heard something fascinating. I heard something that kind of stopped me. You know, we hear so many things every day, but what actually resonates? I heard something that resonates. I forget which podcast I was listening to, but the guy said, you know, you technically die twice. And this is the theory that you die once when you actually stop breathing. When your lifeless body goes into a coffin or someone burns it and puts it in an urn or whatever happens with your body. But you know what I mean? When you're dead and you stop experiencing your conscious existence, that's one death. And then he said the second death, this is probably on the Pete Holmes podcast, which I still listen to my guru. The second death is the last time anybody says your name. So one death when you're actually dead and then you die twice. The second time is when the last person ever utters your name, a reference to you. So in that sense, there's a lot of this mental energy put towards leaving a legacy. 
Leave something behind. If you're an artist, you know all about this. You wrote a song, you hope people listen to that song forever. You wrote a play, you hope it keeps being performed. You wrote a book, you hope people keep reading that and analyzing that forever. Well, we're still talking about people from thousands of years ago, from Plato to Aristotle to Socrates. So these people technically aren't totally dead. I mean, they're half dead. They died, but the died twice part? This is you know a special aspect of having kids and hoping that they get to know you a little bit and tell your story a little bit. If your story's worth telling and then they tell their kids, they go, what was Grandpa Josh all about? What was Great Grandpa Josh all about? What was Great Great? No, no one's talking about Great Greats, right? No one's really talking about Great Greats. You know, the point is, no one's going to say your name at some point in the future. It's going to stop. So maybe a lot of us, I shouldn't say all of us, are driven by this idea that we got to extend that next phase. The first phase, it'll end I don't know, what's the average human lifespan nowadays? 80 years? You know, we, we get about 80. Actually, God willing. And I've heard some people say, I don't want to go past that. I don't want to just watch everything fall apart and be at the doctor's office every week. But yeah, I mean, there's a sweet spot of aging. And then when it's done to be at peace with it, for your family to be at peace with it, then they get to keep talking about you. Hopefully in a positive light. You remember he used to say this? Oh, he used to always bake those cookies. Oh, yeah, he wrote a book. Check it out. Oh, he wrote a poem. Go read that. Oh, he loved to garden. Here's some photos of his garden. Oh, she was simply the greatest dancer. You remember those moves great Aunt Helen had? You remember those moves? People are still talking about you, talking about you, talking about you. And one day they won't, and that's your second death, and that's it. And although it seems morbid, maybe it's inspiring. Speaking of inspiring, hey, speaking of is a great transition. Speaking of this, uh, speaking of that, I've never read a Kurt Vonnegut book in my life, but I saw his Hulu documentary. My mother-in-law, Sandy, let me give her a shout out for the recommendation, recommended it. And there's nothing on t- outside of sports right now. There's nothing on TV that's captured my interest in a few weeks. So I say, sure, let's start it. The Kurt Vonnegut documentary, even if you've never read his books, is so good. Makes you feel all of the feelings. You will cry and you'll go, why am I, cr- why am I crying at the Kurt Vonnegut talking about it? What, what are these feelings? It's so sentimental. There's so much wisdom in it about family connections and about genius and just watching somebody observe society and have the ability, the genius ability to capture it, convey it to a bunch of fans. And look, he was so prolific. Not everybody loved every book Kurt wrote. There's a lot of famous ones that people can recognize. Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle. Man Without a Country, I guess, was his best-selling memoir. But there were some moments in the documentary where I thought to myself, writers are kings. In my eyes, if I had a hierarchy, now we're not supposed to have a social hierarchy. If you truly see the world where everyone's equal, which is great, those are my firm beliefs, I believe in equality, that no group of humans is better than another group of humans. This is the opposite of racism. Hey, I'm happy to celebrate myself today as a non-racist. But if we're just talking about general talents, writers are on top for me. More than anyone in the world of arts. Good writers. The great writers. You've all read great writers. These people have an ability that's innate. I don't think you could learn it. It's just one of those things. And I'm putting them ahead of singers and dancers and actors. I'm putting them ahead of poets. Anyone in the arts. Musicians of any kind. Writers, the Kurt Vonnegut's, they told a story that he put his head against a tree 
And he claimed that by closing his eyes, he was just able to see everything unfold. He was able to see the future unfold. He was able to write in a way that anyone from age 12 to 86 could understand. So the simplicity of some of his writing was a skill. You don't have to have all these elaborate, magnificently crafted sentences. Sometimes good writing is just get to it and capture society, package it in a way that people can enjoy, can laugh at, can learn from. Writers? Good, who are these people? Who are these aliens? Authors? Anyone from Shakespeare to Kurt Vonnegut. Who are these people that just sit down at the typewriter? They sit down, and I mean typewriter back in the day, Kurt Vonnegut, with his bad posture just hunched over the keyboard, smoking Pall Malls. You can romanticize these old authors, but nowadays... You know, having the ability to churn out book after book after book after book after book. There are people who've written like 50 good books. Who, what kind of brain is this? And they can't stop. And it's like endless torture because once the book's released, they're like, ah, I probably should have redeveloped the plot. I probably should have added a little more color to that character. I probably, oh, was there a potential plot hole? At one point, you just have to release it. You just have to release it. You probably got paid by a big publishing house, the idea of releasing it to the world, oh, that must be torture. How many of these authors actually say, I wrote a perfect book? Probably none of them. And I guess that's what genius is, tortured. Just continuing to strive for the next best thing, the next best thing. That's how you gain an audience, because they're on a journey with you. You strive for the next best thing. You know, think about anyone you love right now in the world of sports or the arts or politics. Maybe you've seen someone grow and you're like, yeah, I've, I've been with them from the beginning, from the jump. It feels good. To be a fan of something, to be a fan of someone, it feels good, especially if you watch them evolve and continue to reinvent themselves as we do as people. As we do as people, it gets mirrored to us from, I guess, the celebrities, but we're doing the same thing. We're not on a linear path. We're always reinventing ourselves. Hopefully, although Plato might disagree with the allegory of the cave, and I'm going to simplify this real quick. Plato, I'm teaching a little Greek philosophy lately, so let me just go into the allegory of the cave. The idea that our basis for knowledge becomes a total conviction. Like our absolute truth, you emerged into the world and whatever your basis was for knowledge, I guess it's your family, it's your neighborhood, it's your earliest teachers, society, from the zeitgeist pop culture, to the books you were reading, to the movies you were watching, to the video games you were playing, just everything that shaped you, it becomes your absolute truth. And most people... Not all. I want to say most are too stubborn to really be shaken from their belief system. Your truth is your truth. And I guess you're entitled to that. Your truth is your truth. But we share a planet with people who don't see our truths the way we see it, which is why there's endless conflict. And the allegory is this idea that if three prisoners were just chained in a cave to a wall and they only saw shadows with the sunlight illuminating some shadows of what a dog is, what a person is, that would become their basis of reality. And if one of the prisoners was unshackled and went outside and said, I actually saw a person, I saw a dog, I saw the sun, I saw all those things that were creating those shadows for our reality, the other two people wouldn't understand. They would say, that sounds crazy, that sounds dumb, that's some dumb shit. Don't come in here with that. Don't ruin our basis of knowledge. And we all have to admit that, that our truths, even our facts, are most concrete that word concrete, set in stone, facts, might not be universal. A scientist could disagree with that and say, no, there are universal facts that we all can agree upon. And what I've learned, probably in the last year or two, is nope, no, there's not. 
someone could disagree with me about views of outer space, about views of psychology, anything from hot button issues like abortion, gun control, gender acceptance. I mean, there's just a long list of things that people are now arguing. I think there's more topics to argue about than ever because there's more people questioning things that just didn't used to be questioned. And now we encourage it. Question everything. As Socrates would say, a life unexamined is not even worth living. I kind of agree with that. Question everything. You're allowed to question things. It's weird to think I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old right now, and they're kind of going with the flow of whatever my wife and I are putting in front of them. Go with the flow. This is summer camp. This is your TK. This is your grandma. This is your neighborhood. You know, this is your park. At some point, they're going to look at me and say, what the fuck is this all about? How do you know so much, adult in the house? How do you know so much? And I'll have to say, I was just like you. I was just getting indoctrinated through this system just like you. Can't be dogmatic with my authoritative rules. No, this is how it'll be. And this is how you'll live. No kids. We get to watch them grow up, spread their wings and just fly a little bit. Hopefully they stay close to the nest. Don't fly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't fly too far. Stay around me. Let me make this world nice for you. But I'm not in that phase yet. I still have little kids where things are pretty manageable. I mean, you get a tantrum here and a tantrum there. You know, you don't sleep well at all, but it's still kind of manageable. That's going to evolve. You know what it means to intellectualize something? I don't think I'm great at this. I love that word, though, to intellectualize something. I think my wife can intellectualize things a little bit better than I can. So before I even Google it, what do you think? To intellectualize something. Just to have an emotionless ability to discuss something. Maybe it's something totally foreign. Maybe it's something that you've experienced, and maybe there is trauma. But when you start to intellectualize it, Maybe it's a more robotic style of analysis. I don't know. But here, I'm going to Google it so I don't get it wrong because I was just having this conversation and I like it. And I know what started the conversation. I was watching something on the road that I didn't like. I think there was this one car who wasn't letting someone in and they were like upset with each other. You ever see two drivers in front of you having some beef, having some friction and you're like, wait, that person's in the right and that person's in the wrong. And then you get mad for the person who's getting mistreated by Captain Road Rage in front of you. And you're just like, God. Damn, what causes you to be that way? How are you so awful? How are you so terrible? And I was just reacting emotionally, like pissed, like, God, I hope that person drags that person out of the car. My wife's just like, "Eh, probably just an entitled, older, rich, white man who doesn't want to let anyone infringe on his space. He believes the road is his space, not ready to share any aspect of the planet. I'm like, wow, okay. So she has the ability to rationalize the situation by just trying to understand someone's background. Like if someone yells at you, you know, most of us would be like, that hurts, I'm pissed. But if you intellectualize the situation, you go, what are you so mad about? What happened in your past that has created this fury that is now aimed at me, but it has nothing to do with me? All right, so intellectualize. To ignore the emotional or psychological significance of a feeling to analyze and consider the rational content or form of when a person using reason and logic avoids uncomfortable and anxiety provoking emotions. Wow. I want to adopt this. I want to intellectualize way more than I do because I'm on the uncomfortable anxiety provoking, provoking emotion side. But some people who always just intellectualize the word, the world, Hey, can you speak? Have more of an emotionless reaction to things. Huh? A defense mechanism 
in which conflicts or emotional problems are dealt with abstractly or concealed by excessive intellectual activity. So understanding before you just react. Oh my God, I react. And that's all part of mindful meditation, which I've been doing for like seven years. They say non-attachment, non-reactive. How do you do that? I mean, not to say Buddhism is all a bunch of bullshit. I don't want to say that. But this idea of non-attachment, you just identify your feelings. You don't get carried away with them. Oh, that's anger. I know that. Oh, that's sadness. That's happiness. Who steps away from themselves? To actually step away from yourselves for a moment before you get carried away with stuff. Non-reactivity, non-attachment. Oh, I should be in a monastery. Because I can't just think, oh, doing my 10 minutes a day on my Calm app is really doing much. Maybe it is. I don't know. But maybe I do need to just go to Spirit Rock and bring everything I have for a month. Just tell my family, I'm going. I'm just going to focus on breathing. I'll be back in October. But for now, I'm just going to do some Buddhist stuff, some monk stuff. That's what I need to do. And then I get to intellectualize the world. Yeah. Seems impossible. We had something go down recently in the neighborhood. I probably shouldn't get into the details right now, but had something go down one night, a couple of weeks ago in the neighborhood, and it took me like five days to come down from it. Like I was red zone upset. My wife recovers way sooner than me. She said, it's legit. Like you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be pissed. And I just had to put my faith in the fact that time heals. You know, you get past something you move a little further from something that upsets you and then you could kind of regain your equilibrium but i gotta have a quicker bounce back that's the thing you're gonna react but the quicker bounce back maybe that's what the meditation is for you're gonna react but just bounce back quicker just keep going keep going forward don't stay in your head about a topic and when i say these things out loud i'm not saying to you i'm saying to me this is just a man with a microphone all right if you're still with me thank you but when I say, don't live in your head, I'm not really speaking to you. I'm clearly just speaking to myself. And if I'm talking to myself, am I crazy? Maybe, but you're listening to this. So are you crazy? Are we crazy? Did we just become best friends? Let's do karate in the garage. I was talking to a friend recently who I didn't think did much in the world of partying. I didn't think she drank. I didn't think she smoked weed. I didn't think she smoked anything, did anything, kind of a teetotaler. And she told me, that no, no, no. Oh, she smokes weed now. And I was like, really? You smoke weed now, huh? And I was wondering, why? Why? Like, is it self-medicating? Why start when you're an adult? You know, usually, most people that smoke weed, I'm guessing, were exposed to it at a vulnerable young age with peer pressure. But what if someone just went their whole life, you know, got into their 40s, never smoked weed, and then, you know what, I'm going to start growing it, I'm going to start smoking it, and I'm going to enter that culture? I was like, why? What now? And she said, no, it's not really self-medicating. Just create adventure. Like the world had dulled a little bit. Like COVID, the whole shelter in place, things got so mundane. that she's like, I got to have the ability to change reality a little bit. Even if reality is very good. This is why a lot of people, I think, drink. Maybe it adds a tiny bit of adventure to a moment. Just like a zigzag away from the normal day-to-day. But as she was explaining to me, like, I don't smoke weed. But I'm curious why some people do at this age. I bet they have a good reason. They like the way it feels. Okay. But I was super curious. Whoa. So you just add a little color, add a little flavor 
to days that might otherwise be boring days? She's like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, oh, okay. Now there's an answer. At least that's some logical stuff I can comprehend. I've talked about this before, but most people have something. little vice here, a little vice there. To just break free from the monotony. Even if they're like, this probably isn't that good for me. It could be a sugar addict. Maybe you're addicted to something on your phone. Addicted to some substance. You could even be addicted to good things. Like some people are addicted to the gym. That sounds good, I guess. But that's not really a vice. Like what's a vice when you become an adult? If you're doing things as a teen, I think everyone just goes, yep. You know, the brain's not fully formed. Your favorite rapper is way more influential than your favorite teacher or a parent. So I get it. But when you become an adult, if you're still, you know, tiptoeing over that fine line of, oh, now it's beyond partying. Now I just need to alter my reality. You got to wonder why is that the wiring that people don't just want to stay in a current headspace. People don't just want to plateau with this is how I am. No, some people want to go into the woods and frolic around with some of the herbs. Interesting to analyze. Human behavior, interesting to analyze. So old behavioral patterns that just get grandfathered in. You're like, I used to do it and I still do it. Uh, Self-medicating. If you're not going to go see a therapist or maybe you're not going to actually come to terms with some of your issues. Or this new thing my friend told me. No, I'm just going to create a little adventure on some boring ass days. I was like, interesting. Okay, that's an option I hadn't heard before. Plus, if we do get to live a long life, some people think it's just a little long. That's what Kurt Vonnegut said. Kurt's like, God, we live too long. He made it to 84. He's like, by the time he was in his 70s, he's like, what else? And he wasn't even such a curmudgeon, but he's like, all right, still going. Things got dull. That's why years fly by so quickly now as we age. Things get a little dull. Things do dull to us. And I'm not saying this from a standpoint of sadness or, oh, how much of a bummer is this? But it's just objective that we, as we age, experience less visual cataloged moments throughout an hour. Whereas kids, young kids, an hour could be the greatest carnival of sights and sounds And we've already compartmentalized it. We've seen it. We've labeled it. We move on. So as adults, we go through a day and it feels like you snapped your finger and you're back on the pillow. But as kids, the time that they're experiencing, God, that's the beauty of it. That's why our kids are just the best things in the world by far. It's weird that some people go, I don't like kids. What do you mean? You're not allowed to say that. You were one. The whole world only thrives because kids exist and become hopefully good people, contributing members of society. That's our world. We only have a good world, if you want to call it a good world. Some things about this world are good because we've had good kids on a good path with good guidance, good instruction. Kids are amazing. We all get to learn from them and watch them and witness them and just pass the baton to them. All right, take it. Run with it. Be better than us. Be better. All right. I got to bounce. I genuinely need to read another heat wave article because I'm going to faint right now. It's too hot. We're setting records today throughout the Bay Area. Our own Gordon Montgomery is down in Fremont with the latest. Gordon, guys, it's hot. All right, it's been a sizzler. Leave a rating, a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. I say I'm on Twitter, but not really. At jrosenberg957, you can check out the book Suddenly Facing Reality. Go, read the whole thing. 
I'll have my regrets forever, but at least I got it out there. Got it out there. Now we'll turn it into a major motion picture one day starring, starring Kyle Mooney. Yeah, Kyle Mooney. He needs work. He's not on SNL anymore. By the way, SNL, we need you. All right, add some spice to my Saturday nights. Folks, it's been real. That's episode 193. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 